This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Our worship continues now with the public reading and study of the Word of God. We have two readings assigned for tonight. First one from the book of Leviticus, which is the best book in the Bible. Leviticus 19, the moral and ceremonial laws. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. If you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with one another. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I know I told you all to sit down, but it is a tradition that when we hear the king speak, you stand in the presence of the king. Please stand as we hear the good news through Jesus the Messiah. Good news according to Matthew. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause 
shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Again, Father, we do pray that the Holy Spirit would come at this moment to be our teacher. Spirit of Jesus, we pray that um, you will be here amongst us, speaking to each one of us. 
instructing each one of us, bringing us into life. We pray that his words will indeed be for each of us, spirit and life. Again, in his name, we ask these things. Amen. Going to, um, for the sake of those, especially who listen to the podcast, uh, I think it's up to 14 or 15 now, um, around the world. As I mentioned this morning, I met a woman in Los Angeles who mentions, uh, so, you know, the word is getting out. (laughs) The word is going forth from Zion, (laughs) from Jerusalem. We we appreciate the loyalty of our 15 or 16 uh, international listeners, but also because uh, uh, many of you were not uh, here last week, and uh, the passage that we read, the long passage that we read from the gospel, actually does build upon uh, what we discussed last week. So I'd like to just uh, give a very, really short uh, review and remind us of some of the issues at stake uh, so that we could go forward really to the key verse, uh, I believe, which was verse 48. Be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that mean? Yes, how do we do that? Especially when we're not, you know, in a Pentecostal holiness movement, or at least most of us aren't, okay? So last week, uh, just maybe, again, just as a reminder, we did uh, speak about uh, holiness in the context uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the context of the teaching of Jesus and the way that he relates to Scripture. And uh, we mentioned that uh, holiness, especially in our day and age, has uh, a bit of a bad reputation. Uh, it's uh, seen uh, oftentimes as some kind of a stereotype. If we think God is holy, we think he's a kind of an angry old man who's in heaven with a big stick trying to keep us from having fun. Yes, that, again, that's the stereotype or the way that some, uh, some people feel in the church and outside the church. And holy people, uh, oftentimes, whether it's true or not, we have a stereotype of people who often uh, walk around uh, being very self-righteous, thinking they're better or holier than others, uh, often being uh, condemning, and sometimes focusing on certain kinds of sins, uh, the sin of immorality, uh, for example, sexual immorality. But if we study the Bible, yes, I hope that all of us can see that not only is God holy, but that holiness is something very powerful. Yes, it is something uh, very attractive. It gives life. Yes, Uh, it um, empowers each one of us. And of course, it's mysterious at the same time. There's a certain paradox about holiness. Yes, especially God's holiness. Holiness in the scripture is described as like a fire. And what is fire? Fire brings life. We, I don't think any of, a, any of us could live without fire. 
and all its benefits. But also, we need to remember, maybe, we don't need much to jog our memory. Fire is dangerous. Yes, holiness is goodness, it's life, but it's also dangerous. And, it, and like fire, it should fascinate us. We should be a fascination with holiness. Yes, like little kids. I don't know if it's little girls, but especially little boys. Yes, they are enchanted. Yes, with fire. And uh, it's still, I think for most of us, still holds something of a mystery. And what is, the, what is the benefit of holiness? I mean, again, we're not sure that it's worth it. In fact, most of us are more often than not afraid of it. But the benefit of holiness is really twofold. The benefit of holiness, especially as, as enshrined, you might say, uh, in God's law and the commandments and the instructions and the teaching, uh, holiness is given for our good. The commandments are given for our good. It's for our well-being, the well-being of the community. Yes, because the place where we become holy, or how we become holy, is by keeping God's word and keeping God's commandments. And again, the stereotype sometimes is God is a mean old man, cranky old man, and he's up there and he's trying to stop me from having fun. Yes? So he wants to put all these rules and regulations upon us. And they don't seem relevant and they certainly don't seem to make sense. But again, why does God give us commandments? God gives us commandments, again, so that uh, we as, a, as human society, as a human family, will not fall into chaos, yes, and destroy ourselves. Because we need restrictions or we need boundaries. And, but there's, some, there's a step, for, there's something further. And again, if you want more detail, listen to the, the podcast from last week. And you'll be our 16th or 17th listener. Yes. Uh, iTunes said that when we get to 20, um, we're going to get a free gift certificate of $5, okay? <laughs> So we're waiting for that day. But there's something else. And again, we won't going to review the scriptures because we, we have other fish to fry at this moment. But basically, if we want intimacy with the Lord, yes, if we want that deep, deep connection, it only comes with holiness. And I can quote you many verses, but one will suffice for the moment. That's Hebrews. Without holiness, no one will see, the, see God. And I don't think it's only in the world to come, but I think it's in this life as well. I think it's in this life. I think it's in this life as well. Now, how does... Uh, I think we need to stress this point because it becomes important for us later. How does holiness happen? How do we get it? You know, well, first of all, it comes from God. And anything that's associated or connected with God is holy. Yes, for example, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the first thing called holy in the Bible. 
And throughout the Bible, it's called holy. God's name is called holy. Yes, the name of God is holy. It's special. It uh, is different. And like everything that's holy, it needs to be protected. And if it's misused, the name of God can be dangerous. And so, what else is holy? And uh, for example, in uh, a New Testament context, the church. I mean, that dysfunctional, broken down, yes, uh, quarreling, prideful uh, community uh, in Corinth with all their problems, issues of pride and misunderstanding and immorality and favoritism and uh, sectarianism. And if, I, if I would go on, I'd have to continue all night. That church is a mess. Makes, makes all of us look pretty together. And yet Paul says, Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And he says, you guys are holy. Why are they holy? Because there is an association with God. But there's a second part to holiness. And this second part to holiness, uh, the focus is on us. God sanctifies, but God also calls us into partnership. And he wants us to also be involved in the process of sanctification. And so therefore, the Sabbath may be holy, but God says to the community, you sanctify the Sabbath. You make it holy. God's name may be holy, and so we don't. But God says, you sanctify my name. Meaning we're careful with how we use the name of God. We're careful with uh, uh, the context or we make sure that we don't abuse, uh, certainly don't abuse God's name. The church, all of us, if we belong to Jesus, uh, if we're very faithful or may perhaps not so faithful, we are holy, but at the same time, we're called upon to sanctify ourselves. Now, all of this is an introduction, okay, uh, for the gospel passage that we read in Matthew. And you see, Matthew and his community, or communities, they have two big issues here. And they both kind of center on holiness, as you'll see in a moment. I hope you'll see in a moment. Issue number one, okay, Issue number one is that there are many Gentiles and they hear Jesus talking about peace and love, okay? And my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And they hear Jesus condemning uh, some of the activities of the Pharisees. Actually, Jesus doesn't condemn the Pharisees for what they do. He simply condemns them for how they do it. Right? Jesus isn't against tithing, or he isn't against praying, but uh, if these acts are done as a way uh, to uh, appear or to be self-righteous, then Jesus, of course, can be very hard. So it might be very easy to read this gospel 
or to hear the words of Jesus and say, hey, I'm free from all that old stuff. I'm free from the law. I'm free from works. Salvation is by grace, which it is, yes. And Matthew has to say, through Matthew, as it records Jesus is saying, uh-uh, not so fast. And then there's uh, another uh, group in Matthew's community. These are Jewish Christians. And most likely they're being accused by uh, other Jews who are not believers in Jesus, saying, hey, your so-called teacher, your master, your rabbi, he's leading people astray. He's not even teaching the word of God. He is misrepresenting God's word. And so in Matthew's gospel, we read, uh, we read the following, the following very simple uh, statement of Jesus, which again, misunderstood or uh, sometimes uh, very controversial, especially uh, in Protestant circles that misunderstand or abuse grace. Uh, Jesus says, don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, heaven and earth will disappear, but not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of these, uh, or one of the least of the commandments, and teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here Jesus is, is uh, simply, uh, not simply, making a very bold statement that scripture is important, that it's eternal, that he's not erasing it, he's certainly not disobeying it. Tell me how is it possible, my dear friends, how is it possible for us to, uh, to think that Jesus comes and abolishes all these rules and regulations, yes, that he doesn't keep them, that he's somehow against them, God's commandments, and yet he can be the perfect lamb of God and die for our sins. Does it make sense? If he would break these commandments, the commandments in the Hebrew Bible, he would be a sinner. He would not be the lamb without spot or blemish. blemish. Yes? So Jesus is upholding the commandments uh, and basically by saying, I haven't come to abolish them, I have come to fulfill them, he's saying most likely that I have come to interpret them correctly, I have not come to misinterpret them, and uh, yes, these are important. The light commandments, the heavy commandments, meaning the, the, those that seem minor and unimportant, uh, they're equally essential equally essential and that's really where uh, we stop now Jesus certainly is going uh, Jesus is certainly going to continue and he continues okay with a very very important point yes the important point and what's essential for us to take away from all this maybe it's two things one the rules are important Yes, the commandments are important. God's teaching, God's instruction, they're important. 
We can't live without them. Now, I know a lot of people who say, I don't need the book. I know the author. Who needs, who needs to read Shakespeare? You know, I met the guy, you know, uh, you know, at a shopping mall in Tennessee last year. Yes, that's a nonsense. Okay, that's an absolute nonsense. Once I met a famous person, maybe the only famous person I ever met. I met the guy, I sat next to him at a dinner. I met the guy who wrote Forrest Gump. Now, most of you probably have never seen, maybe you've never read the book, but you have at least seen the movie. Winston Groom, he hated the movie. Okay, but since I knew the book, I was able to talk to him, to talk to the author. And I said to the author, now what's this book about? He says, it's about nothing, I'm just telling a story. Then I said, come on, you're having us on here. It's a, I, you are making fun of the elite establishment in the United States, the East Coast, West Coast. He said, no, I'm only telling a story. But I insisted. And in the end, he said, okay, there's something to it. Okay? Now, I could better understand the book because I met the author. But just because I met the author didn't mean that the book no longer was important. And that for many of us, I'm free. I don't need the law. I'm not, it's not legalistic. What kind of nonsense is that? Now, there's a, over a thousand commandments in the New Testament. And when we say I'm free from the law, basically what we're saying is, I'm, uh, I don't have to keep Shabbat, or I don't have to circumcise, or I don't have to eat the Passover meal. But it's very interesting, those things were given to Israel and only to the people of Israel and were never given to us as Gentiles. So God's word is important and we can't minimize these things, yes? You cannot minimize and say that they're unimportant. You can't say I'm allowed to lie or I'm allowed to cheat or I'm allowed to steal or I can cheat the poor or hurt the elderly. Doesn't work. Okay, doesn't work. But Jesus goes on to show and to say this isn't enough. That there has to be more. And that if you want to be in God's kingdom, if you want to be his disciple, or you want to be in the kingdom of heaven movement that we have talked about before in the past, then there's something else that you have to do. You see, because you can keep the laws, and you can keep the rules, and you can still miss the mark. Okay? You can still miss the mark. Again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can, um, you want to have a good marriage? Those of you who are married or intending on getting married or hoping to get married, well, I can tell you, you want to have a good marriage. You, there shouldn't be jealousy in the marriage, which is condemned by the Bible. You shouldn't have lying or, or stealing in the marriage. Yes, in the relationship. And you certainly should not commit adultery because adultery is horribly destructive and painful. Yes? And that scar can go on for generations, from generation to generation. And it can take a long time to heal if both partners are willing. But you cannot, you, you, 
you cannot lie, you cannot cheat, you cannot steal, you cannot be jealous of each other, and you can still have a horrible marriage. Yes? You can still, you can, uh, still be full of lust. You can be full of anger. You can be full of resentment. Yes, you could want revenge. Yes, you could be full of worry about your partner or your future or anxiety. So Jesus is raising the bar. Yes, again, the Torah is good. It's essential. Yes, the commandments are important. But it's not enough. You have to go further. Jesus uses the example of murder. Yes? Okay. So you don't murder anyone. Yes? But do you hate some? Do you hate people? Do you seethe with vengeance? Are you un are we? I shouldn't say you, we. Me. Are we unable to forgive? Are we waiting for the moment that we can, you know, show them who's boss? Yes? Okay. How about people we consider to be our enemies? It's easy to love our friends. Yes? And by the way, there is nothing in Jewish tradition, the Old Testament, the rabbinic commentaries, there's nothing... Uh, that says you should hate your enemy. Yes, oftentimes Christians have said, you see those Jews, they hate their enemy, but we are so much better. We have to love our enemies. I'm not actually sure throughout Christian history how well we've done loving our enemies. Yes, Uh, because the uh, sobering fact of the matter is that our, that, uh, our enemies are not God's enemies, yes. And um, you know, again, God calls us to pray for them and to uh, and to love them. And this is, uh, you know, what Jesus calls us to do: to be merciful, yes. To be generous, yes. If someone asks you for something, you know, if someone asks you to go a mile, go two miles. And by the way, I don't think these should be taken literally. I know there's a big debate and a big discussion. But I think these are in the form of poetry and they serve as some kind of general guideline. You can take them literally if you want. I'm not sure that's always the case. They need to be taken in context uh, with other parts of the scripture. But they still, they lay down principles. The principles are keep the commandments. They're important, they're essential, they're the starting point. But they have to be kept with mercy. They have to be kept with love. Yes, they have uh, to be kept uh, with generosity. Yes. All of these, by the way, are, this is God's nature. And all of these things are at the very basis. They're, all of these things are... Really, this is about the imitation of God. Yes. Six times in Leviticus, it says, be holy for I am holy. And then it goes on to tell us what holiness is like. 
Now, again, holiness sometimes gets a bad reputation. And we think of holiness maybe in the context of, oh, those people don't drink, they don't dance, they don't drink um, single malt, they don't, uh, yeah, you're not supposed to listen to the Rolling Stones. Uh, They don't, they have an emphasis on sexual immorality. And while it's not very popular to say, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth that what it means to be holy and what it means to be pure has uh, something to do, has uh, something to do with morality and sexual morality. I, I won't get elected president by saying these things. But if, if that's all holiness is, then we're making a huge mistake. Because in Leviticus 19, what do we read? We read that we should care for the poor. That's also what it means to be holy. Uh, it, it says that we shouldn't lie or cheat or steal or that we shouldn't uh, hold back wages okay, from, uh, from our workers. Obviously, it means that we should pay them fairly or pay them on time. That we shouldn't somehow uh, do anything that harms our neighbor. That we shouldn't harm... Um, we shouldn't harm those uh, who are handicapped or those who can't see, those who are blind. All of that is not just being a good neighbor or doing good deeds. All of that is holiness. Later in chapter 19, it says, don't, um, uh, it says, honor, it says, uh, honor the elderly. Okay, so caring and respecting for the elderly, these are, an acts, of, these are acts of holiness. These are the very things that God does. Yes, and these are the very things that God tells Israel, hey, I want you to imitate these things. Because again, what it means to be holy is not to that we're uh, separate from evil. There's a truth to that. Yes, holiness needs to be protected and we need to withdraw, yes, to a certain extent from those things or those people which are evil. But at the same time, Jesus says we have to be salt and light. And what it means to be holy is to do good to others. In fact, yes, it's summed up in uh, Leviticus 19.17, which says you shall, 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here the Bible makes a connection between love and holiness. Is that something we think about? No, we think holiness is over here. And love is over there, but actually they're kissing cousins. Yes, and the two concepts overlap, and they're quite intimate. Now, six times it says, be holy as I am holy. Matthew records Jesus as saying, hey, be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yes, same principle, same idea. Do what God does. Oh, wait a minute. I can't be flawless. I can't be faultless. You know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. How is that possible? But the context is love. Yes? To be mature is another way of saying be perfect. To be, um, to be mature, to be whole, to be complete. Yes? 
when it comes to love. When it comes to love. That we keep God's commandments, but we keep them in the right way. Again, with mercy. Yes, with generosity. With love. Removing lust. And so on and so forth. This is what it means to be a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's imitating Jesus, who imitates God. Yes? To be a disciple of Jesus, meaning Jesus is modeling God's life for us, and we model our life on his. Now, once two other points, and we finish. I apologize for the length of the sermon. Yes, the, second, the, the first point is that discipleship, yes, discipleship is more than just some kind of a program. We've oftentimes reduced discipleship to reading our Bible for 25 minutes a day. Pretty good thing. Having a quiet time, pretty good thing. Witnessing the 3.5 people a week, pretty good thing. If you can get 4.2 people in there a week, it's even better. Yes, but discipleship's not a program. You see, discipleship is a, is a life. And whose life are we living once we enter into uh, making ourselves uh, imitators of Jesus, apprenticing ourselves, sitting at his feet, learning from him? Yes, the life that we enter, we enter the life of God. Yes, we, um, you might say that we share in eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is divine life. And uh, I think the point is sometimes made very well in either the gospel or John or the epistles. But uh, I would just like to, to show you them. I'm not crazy and I'm not uh, making this up. It says, I'd like to read a few passages from 1 John. It says, for we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete okay, in him. This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know we are in him, in, in this relationship with him. Whoever claims to live, yes, in him must walk as Jesus did. Okay? Anyone who, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. He who loves his brother is in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Yes? And then I'd like to turn to, to four. I could keep, we could keep going in chapter two of First John. But... Uh, Here it says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And what is, the six examples that Jesus gave us, whether it's talking about divorce or our enemies or being generous to those who ask from us, he's he's essentially talking, uh, talking about love. He says, this is how God, it says, sorry, uh, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us 
because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in God, okay, whoever, sorry, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Right? There's a mutual indwelling that we live in God and that God lives in us. Yes? And it's love. That's the key to this. So being a disciple of Jesus uh, is more than just being a follower. Uh, It's uh, sharing in his life and living, yes, living divine life or what we would call eternal life. According to John 17, eternal life starts now and continues after we die. Yes, it's not something that we wait for, pie in the sky. And now, in closing, how do we do this? Because it's not easy to do some of these things that Jesus asked us to do. Even if we're not, we understand that we don't take them uh, literally. Yes, how do we do this? And may I just suggest uh, one or two things. Um, One, it's the work of God, just like holiness is. Yes, something something that becomes associated with God becomes holy. And two, it is something that we do in part, something we do ourselves in partnership with God. So first, yes, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, yes, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, And as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we certainly come into a place of love and peace and joy and self-control, and we have that supernatural power, yes, from the Holy Spirit to love those who are difficult or to forgive our enemies. So there is that aspect. And actually, the church understands that really well, very often. We all want the Spirit to do it. We all want the Spirit to come. But there's a second thing that's, uh, you know, equal, sorry, that's equally uh, uh, important (coughs) And that is, it begins with repentance. And Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, or just before the Sermon on the Mount, he says to everyone, he says to to all of those, repent and keep on repenting. And repentance has to be, uh, certainly has to be a lifestyle. And that then he calls upon us, yes, he calls upon us to to practice discipline or to discipline ourselves. Okay, so that we can grow in holiness. Uh, At Lent, or during the season of Lent, we uh, uh, traditionally emphasize three things. We emphasize giving, we emphasize praying, we emphasize fasting or self-denial. And so what if we thought about uh, these disciplines in the context of what we were saying? Praying. What if we prayed for those we have a difficult time with? What if we prayed for those people we don't like? What if we pray for those people who offend us? 
or those people who annoy us or irritate us, yes, instead of just complaining about them, practice the discipline of praying for them daily. I promise if you pray for people regularly, you'll stop hating them or resenting them, yes, and you'll see them the way that God sees them. What about uh, giving, being generous, yes? Oftentimes we can't be generous because we're full of fear, we're full of anxiety about the future. So here we practice generosity. Generosity with our finances, generosity maybe with our time, generosity with our material possessions so we're not possessed by them. You know, they serve us, we don't serve our things or our house or whatever we may, our bank account or whatever we may have, yes? What about self-denial? And this morning I gave a, uh, a good example of uh, Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard, he would practice self-denial um, in, in, in a number of unusual ways. But one way he would do it, uh, since he was a professor and he was very knowledgeable and well-read and very clever, he would practice, yes, the art you might say, of not having the last word and not having to be right or not having to put himself forward and to talk about himself. Yes, as a, way, as a spiritual discipline, as a way of growing. See, holiness, again, it's God has, does his work just like the Sabbath, just, just like his name, but he calls upon us also to sanctify ourselves. Yes, to discipline ourselves. Yes, to, uh, to, to make ourselves holy. This is not works, okay? Uh, we do this in partnership with him. And uh, whether we're giving generously or denying ourselves or praying, uh, these things, he gives us the power, you might say, uh, and the motivation to do these things. So ultimately, all comes from him. So Father in heaven, we do uh, look at these challenging words, or we hear these challenging words of Jesus. We pray that they'll continue to ring in our ears. We pray that they'll continue to speak to us and to challenge us, to motivate us. We pray that these words uh, will truly be to each one of us uh, spirit and life. And we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would... Uh, Help us and enable us to do um, those things uh, which please Jesus and enable us to uh, live a life, uh, to live that divine life, to live in God and to have God live in us uh, through uh, Jesus the Messiah. We ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.